All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, we've done it. All four of us have now seen Sound of Freedom. And I got to tell you, um, it was, as you can imagine, a very impactful, very powerful, um, very powerful movie. But it's left a lot of people wondering what do we actually do about it? It's also left a lot of frustration given some of the reviews that have come out about it from places like Rolling Stone, from Media Matters, from The Guardian. Um, so today we're going to discuss the question. We're going to try to be fair about this. Is Sound of Freedom QAnon adjacent? Is it, as the Rolling Stones referred to it, is a, super, a superhero movie for dads with brain worm? Or it was it actually a very impactful movie? Plus, we're going to answer what I think is a far more important question. That is, what do any of us do about this? And so we're going to give you a sneak peek into an interview that we did with a man named Victor Marks, who has been uh, known as the pedophile hunter. This is somebody that not only endured quite a bit himself as a child, but has actually dedicated a large part of his life in going and helping other children that were in a similar situation as himself. So you're going to get some sneak peek into that interview, and we're going to talk a little bit more about where you can find the rest of that interview later on. All of that and more coming up in this episode of Making the Argument. Thank you for joining us on this live stream. Today we are live streaming on the Nick Freitas YouTube channel, the Making the Argument YouTube channel, and the Nick Freitas Rumble channel. If you haven't already, we hope that you will go down to the link in the description and join our community chat. We would love to converse with you about this topic after the show right there within our community chat. Like I said, it's down in the link is down in the description. We would love to join you there. All right, as always, I am Nick Freitas, your host and member of the Virginia House of Delegates. But other than that, a reasonably good guy. We have with us today my beautiful bride, Tina, Queen of the Bees. Hello, everyone. Our political prognosticator and resident historian, Christian Hines. Hello. He's back. I am back. Yep. And then our producer of producers, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. Yes, sir. All right, so we have now all watched uh, Sound of Freedom. And the first thing I, I kind of want to talk about a, a little bit here is um, this idea of whether or not this was just kind of like obvious right-wing political propaganda. So let, let's do this first. I know this is a little bit of shift about yeah. what we talked about, but I think this is important. I want to bring up this article from Rolling Stone. And it says, Sound of Freedom is a superhero movie for dads with brain worms. The QAnon-tinged thriller about child trafficking is designed to appeal to the concert conscience of a conspiracy addled boomer. Um, no one at this table is a boomer. So maybe, maybe we weren't directed this, but let's go ahead and let's go ahead and scroll down here a little bit. Let's see what else. Uh, Miles Clee had to say about it. Um, he goes based on a true story. I heard, Oh, I guess they're making us log in now. Yeah. Bottom line is I, I read the article and um, he, he went on to say, in fact, let me see if I can bring it up here just so we, we, you know, have some of it. He goes, um, 
based on a true story. He goes, the familiar words had appeared on screen and an elderly man had taken it upon himself to read them aloud to the rest of a sizable audience seated for a matinee showing of an anti-child trafficking thriller Sound of Freedom starring Jim Caviezel. For the seasoned moviegoer, this phrase is a joke. We know that cinema will stretch almost any truth to the breaking point and the rank and sincerity of such a pronouncement is the foundation of prankish opening titles of Fargo. But this crowd, I could tell, would view the events depicted over the next two plus hours as entirely literal. Caviezel, best known for being tortured to death in Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ has become a prominent figure of the conspiracist right, giving speeches and interviews in which he hints at an underground holy war between patriots and a sinister legion of evildoers who are harvesting the blood of children. It's straight-up QAnon stuff right down to his use of catchphrases like the storm is upon us. Here he gets to act out some of that drama by playing a fictionalized version of Tim Ballard, head of the anti-sex trafficking nonprofit organization Underground Railroad, in a feature film that casts the operator as a Batman-style savior for kids sold into the sex trade. Ballard himself has dabbled in Q-adjacent conspiracy theories such as the Wayfair trafficking hoax. While his organization has far-right affinities and a long record of distorting its botched raids, which rely on bizarre tactics like asking psychics where to find victims of rescue. Ballard, Caviezel, and others of their ilk had primed the public to accept Sound of Freedom as a documentary rather than the delusion by fomenting moral panic for years over this grossly exaggerated epidemic of child sex trafficking, much of it funneling people into conspiracist rabbit holes and QAnon communities. In short, I was at the movies with people who were there to see their worst fears confirmed. So that gives you a little bit of insight in, into how this author, again, let, let's go in and let's go in and call him out by name here. I want to make sure he gets credit for his, uh, his, his journalism here. Miles Clee. All right, Miles. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I've, I've come to the conclusion about something and, and I'd, I'd like to get all of your takes on this. So I saw this article, I saw, um, articles by media matters. I saw, you know, reports by, um, the guardian, basically a whole host of, of left wing, um, articles. And, and these got repeated endlessly within the Twitter sphere and everywhere else. I think you brought up some ones where people were talking you, about. You want to pull it up? Yeah, let, let's, bring, let's bring up one here. Uh, we just need to read the headline of it. Hamilton, the one. article. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha. yeah. Yeah. QAnon and Sound of Freedom both rely on tired Hollywood tropes. And that was by uh, Noah Berlatsky. This is from Bloomberg. And we're going to talk about Noah a little bit uh, later because Noah's got some really interesting theories on uh, not only sex trafficking, but pedophiles as well. And, um, Here's here's what I found when I watched the movie. So I, I looked at all of this. Now, you could be thinking that, okay, well, of course, Rolling Stone, Media Matters, The Guardian, you know, these are all left-wing publications. Now, you wouldn't automatically think, or at least I didn't used to automatically think that, you know, the left wing would be soft on human traffickers. I actually, I remember a good old day where pretty much everybody from all sides of the political spectrum all, all kind of agreed that, you know what, human trafficking, bad. Um Children getting caught up in the sex trade, bad. But apparently, uh, apparently, that's that's maybe not the case with certain organizations right now. But be that as it may, going into the movies thinking, okay, these guys had this to say, maybe, maybe, you know, Jim Caviezel, who's considered you know more more on the right as an actor, Tim Ballard, who, who's more on the right politically, maybe when they made this movie. They, they put in a lot of the stuff that we kind of see left-wing movies do all the time. And even movies that are not overtly left-wing. Like, I'll give you an example. Ted Lasso. I remember watching the first season of Ted Lasso thinking, you know what? This is, you know, overall pretty good. Pretty good. A lot of stuff to like on this. And I remember season two, they, like stupid things. 
they, they would start to inject. Like I remember the assistant coach sitting down and explaining to someone that trees are actually socialists because they work together so they can all get sunlight. I'm thinking, first of all, this is ridiculous. But second of all, why, why would you add this in here? Like, how is this relevant to the overall story? Because it really wasn't, or it was just this push to add in a, a politically partisan message where they, they could have easily chosen one that wasn't politically partisan. So maybe I'm thinking that's what Sound of Freedom must have done, right? They must have made some like obvious references to, um, you know, right-wing figures, or, or maybe they, they took some jabs at uh, left-wing figures or left-wing politics in general, right? Maybe, maybe that's what they did. Nope. Nope. Sorry. Watch the whole thing. And I'm, and I'm fairly sensitive to political messaging within movies, to include right-wing political messaging. And I'm watching this thing and I'm looking for it. I'm like, okay, where, where is the overt right-wing political messaging in this movie? Where, where's the references to any sort of right-wing Republican figure or I'll senator? I'll tell you what it is. What, it's what, the anti-pedophilia. The what? anti-pedophilia is now right-wing. And I mean, that's the question. Unironically, though. That's, no, that's the question because... Again, I was looking for for some sort of thing where they referenced like I don't I don't know Ronald Reagan or Donald Trump or even George Bush, or or they they slammed some sort of left wing political figure. None of that, none of that. The the movie didn't mention Republicans or Democrats the whole way through. None of it mentioned Republicans or Democrats. The only reference to government in general was the Department of Homeland Security working with foreign governments with respect to combating human trafficking. And, and, and a reference to, there, there was one part of the movie where the reference, the frustration, because there's one guy that they're working with, he goes, this is why I, I do black ops, I hate bureaucracy. That is something that I don't think is, is particularly partisan, right? Not particularly partisan. So, all right, so I'm looking at that, I'm like, all right, there, there is no overwhelming political references that would, that would have generated this, such, this kind of frustration. Regardless of how you feel about the actors, we're talking about the movie, Right. Nothing in there that was overtly partisan. Okay, maybe maybe it's going to be overtly Christian because that's the other thing that the left can't seem to stand nowadays is overtly Christian themes. All right, so what are the overt Christian themes within this movie? Okay, one person, Jim Caviezel, you know, at playing Tim Ballard, says none of God's children are for sale. Okay, that that seems pretty innocuous. All right. There's well, another. He, he did quote the scripture: "It's better to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and be thrown into the ocean than to hurt one of these little ones." That was so. the other thing I was going to reference. There, there's a point where he is, and again, there's some spoiler alerts in this. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, I apologize. We're going to try to be respectful and not do too many spoilers. But there's one reference where he he is having a conversation with somebody, and and it's kind of a cool scene because he's he's in the process of trying to basically catch a pedophile. And and he uses this reference kind of under his breath in a way that the guy is wondering like what what are you talking about? And then all of a sudden and it's, he's quoting scripture in that. Point. Yeah, and, but, he, and he's quoting he's quoting scripture, but he doesn't say like chapter and verse. He doesn't say you know. I never got the impression that this was like right wing Christian propaganda filled with QAnon references. And actually they're going even further than that. They're saying that it's like a, a Nazi film. Which well, and, and, and look, I'm going to get to, I'm going to get to the third portion where there was some sort of like religious connotation. And it was of another guy explaining how he got into this, trying to rescue kids. And he shares what's actually a pretty painful story for himself personally. And he, and he's talking about being at that moment where he's, he's really questioning himself and he makes this reference like, you know, this was a good time to ask if God's really there. 
And then he and then he expresses how he had that that moment where now he's worked into trying to save children. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it. I just gave you the biblical references. I just gave you the religious references. I just gave you the political references in the movie. How in the world do you come to the conclusion that this was some sort of overtly politically partisan QAnon adjacent movie? Like how do you, they're like, oh, well, Hollywood engages in theatrics. No fooling. Well, you know this would funny? be a great time to bring up the guy's tweet because the guy yeah. that actually said this. Can I also point out that um, uh, the Wikipedia article in this movie is hilarious. It's so far grossed $85 million worldwide against a $14.5 million budget. Sounds like it was a success at the box office. Yeah. It received mixed reviews from critics, while audience reception has been highly positive. When have we heard that before? Yeah. If you want an idea on how good or bad a movie is, look at what the critic reviews are and flip it around 180, yeah. and that will tell you how good or bad a movie is. Almost guaranteed in today's clown world that that's the case. If if critics pan a movie, go see it in theaters. If critics praise a movie, you want to avoid it. Yeah, wait, wait, for it to, wait for it to come out later. By the way, so I dug up some tweets. Well, go go back go back to Bloomberg. I want to go back to this article oh, real okay. quick so we can set this up properly, right? The Bloomberg, this isn't Bloomberg. We're not talking about some sort of weird blog in somebody's basement. This is an opinion piece by Noah Berlatsky. QAnon and Sound of Freedom both rely on tired Hollywood tropes. Sex, tra sex trafficking movies routinely skip over some very important questions, which gives the conspiratorial right room to run wild, right? This is, this is the author of this article in Bloomberg. Now let's look at his Twitter page that, that Christian found. Oh, his former Twitter page, I should point oh, out. Oh, that's right. He former just got Twitter suspended page. from Twitter. I wrote about how... I, we this need to read no, this off no for those Berlaski. that are listening. No this is from the same guy that wrote this article saying that this movie is QAnon propaganda. He said, I wrote about how child trafficking narratives are misleading and how that puts underage people who trade sex at risk. Unbelievable. This is, by the way, from two years ago. Mm -hmm. When he wrote this, he's been at this for quite a while. So he's pro pedophilia. You Hamilton. Guys. There's a second one that, uh, and there's actually a third one that I oh. sent you. Um, here's one from February 2017. He's been at this for a while yeah. now. Pedophiles are essentially a stigmatized group. Certain people get designated as deviants. People hate them. You know what's interesting? Technically, everything he said there is correct. <laughs> well, I don't know about stigmatized. I think it's an actual... It's, no, no, correctly it, so. Correctly yeah. so stigmatized. Yeah. It should be stigmatized. Um, yeah, th th there are certain things that should be stigmatized. Yes, like, like absolutely. Murder should be stigmatized. Yes, yes. Pedophilia should be, should stigmatized. be stigmatized. Yeah. Um, it, it, honestly, that's one of the biggest problems I have with the left is that they think that, that stigmatization is something that should always be avoided at all costs. Well, they, they act like there's they, certain behaviors that should absolutely yeah. be stigmatized. They, they've created a negative connotation around a world, a word that doesn't have it. it, it there's a positive negative connotation and inappropriate negative connotation. Like if you're improperly stigmatizing something, that's bad. But if you're properly stigmatizing something, that's necessary. Well, they here's, just don't want anything that makes people feel bad about their urges. Yeah. Here's the it, last. Your tweet. urges are just part of who you are. Parents are tyrants. Parent is an oppressive class, like rich people or white people. We've talked about this before and how the left loves using oppressive class narratives in order to construct a coalition. Mm -hmm. um, and then he goes on to say, there are things you can do to try to minimize the abuse that's endemic to the parent-child relationship, but it's always there. Something tells me that, that like most people on the left, um, this guy just hates his parents. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of waiting for like something to come out to where he gets uh, 
you know, in trouble for possessing child porn or he's something. He's also he's also um a a huge pedophilia apologist. Yeah. Um in fact there's there's been other stuff um written on the internet, like digging through some of the stuff that he did. Actually if you Hamilton, if you go back to the first tweet, this uh outlet that he wrote for Prostasia is like a huge pro pedophile organization. Um there there's there's been plenty of stuff written on it. Um go 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 look it up if you're if you're interested. Um although be cautious. <laughs> um so yeah, this guy this guy quite frankly is um not you actually in some ways he's a he's a great source to to be used in order to ju- uh, judge whether or not you should go see this movie. He's panning this movie, writing this article saying that it's go trash, you know, don't go see it. And he wrote it in Bloomberg. I can't believe that Bloomberg published this, but um no, I mean he on in some ways it's a it's a great endorsement for the movie that somebody like him hates it. Um, because yeah, just, just a casual yeah. glance through his Twitter page really Anytime shows somebody you somebody is trying to protect pedophiles. Yeah. Pedophile apologists are attacking this movie, which tells you everything you need to know. By yeah. the way, his Twitter account got suspended once Elon found out about all this stuff that he was writing. Well, here, here's another, here's another claim I want. And this comes from the Rolling Stone. I want to address this real quick. Let's see if it's accurate because there are certain, I mean, certainly you can have a claim which is blown out of proportion. Right. And, and again, let's, let's go back to what, um, the Rolling Stone author said, he goes, Ballard, Caviezel, and others of their ilk had primed the public to accept Sound of Freedom as a documentary rather than delusion by fomenting moral panic for years over this grossly exaggerated epidemic of child sex trafficking, much of it funneling people into conspiracist rat holes and rabbit holes and QAnon communities. All right, so I decided, let me see, let, let me go to oh, what would be a, a, gosh, a QAnon-adjacent organization that could provide some information on sex trafficking. How about the Biden State Department? All right, Biden State <laughs> Department. All right, and this is taking uh, this is taking numbers from the International Labor Organization. Again, probably another like hardcore right wing, and the Walk Free Foundation, in partnership with the International Organization for Migration, released global estimates of modern slavery in September 2022. This report estimates that at any given time in 2021, approximately 27.6 million people were in forced labor. Of these, 17.3 million are exploited in the private sector. 6.3 million enforced commercial sexual exploitation and 3.9 million enforced labor imposed by state. So 6.3 million enforced commercial sexual exploitation. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, in a world with 8 billion people, does he have a point by suggesting this is grossly exaggerated? Well, here's my question. Here's my question. Uh, if, uh, a quick a quick review of People from like Rolling Stone, Media Matters, uh, The Guardian, um, just just people from the left on TikTok. If you if you watch their response to something truly tragic, like let's say someone being misgendered, or or someone being dead named, right? Is is their response to say, okay, come on, everyone, just calm down a little bit. This isn't the end of the world. I understand that this might have you know. No, no, their response is, I cannot believe this. This person needs to be canceled. There was a a, 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 tra- a person that identified as trans went into a Christian school and shot a bunch of kids, and the left was was furious about the fact that people were using the dead name of the shooter, that they were misgendering the shooter. Oh so, yeah, the I'm White sorry. House press secretary came out and said that you know our prayers are with the trans community at this time. The, the real the real here's the issue. Here's the issue. I don't want to hear 
I don't want to hear a prominent leftist from Rolling Stone talking about the grossly exaggerated numbers of child sex trafficking when the same sort of people are like, I can't believe they did name me when I went. Like, give me a break. Like, sorry, I, I'm done. Done. Your sense of proportion and your sense of concern with respect to things that are truly evil and devastating versus that which is quite frankly made up in the Western world because you don't got enough to really be worried about that you've got a manufacture crisis and then you're going to act like it's the end of the world every time something like that happens. But yet, 6.3 million people in forced commercial sexual exploitation, an alarming number of that children, that number going up in part because of bad policy. And that's the thing, that's the thing that you want to glom onto and say, yeah, gosh, this is just really growing. This is just blowing this out of proportion. This is QAnon adjacent. I, I'm sorry, but the, the two most the, the two most ridiculous claims in all of this was that this was somehow right-wing political claptrap and that this is grossly exaggerated. Both of those things can be easily dismissed by doing one of two things. A, watching the movie, or B, a quick Google search. Now, we can sit here and we can debate all day long on, on what constitutes exaggeration with respect to data number, numbers and whatnot, but it, it is amazing to me that in this day and age, when a movie comes out discussing Problems of human trafficking, specifically children getting caught up in the sec in sex trafficking, that the knee-jerk reaction by prominent left-wing media, again, we're not talking about some Reddit channel, right? Prominent left-wing media is to get up and say, we need to trash this. When again, the movie was not overtly partisan in any way, shape, or form. Unless, of course, you've now come to the conclusion that being concerned about this and wanting to do something about this and wanting to go out and protect children is now a partisan issue. If that's the possession, if that is the, the position that some of the people on the left, I don't think everybody on the left, but some of the people on the left want to take, you go ahead. And you know what? I, I'd like to hand you a bullhorn and give you a big audience because I'd like everyone to know exactly where everyone stands on an issue like this. Because, I, because I, do have, I do have people on the left, I do have friends on the left that have come out and said... It is ridiculous the way that Media Matters and Rolling Stone have tried to portray this. Here's why I think that is happening, Nick. The left in the past has been exceptionally good at all coming together behind one narrative to push one idea, and they've been fantastically good at it, okay? I think that the right, for the first time, has come together in complete unison to push this movie across the finish line and promote it and get people in theaters. And this has probably been one of the first times that we have adequately marketed something and generated significant interest for it for a good purpose. Yeah. And what I think is happening is that the left has seen that, wow, the right is actually doing something very efficiently here and they're generating a lot of interest and they must discredit the mechanism. I, I think you're right. I, I think you're right. I, I think this has gotten to a point where, again... They have to crush it before yes. it, it takes because, root. Because it if, it works, if it works once, it'll work it'll again. It'll work there again. Angel Studios will make more, more yep. videos yes. because this has been a huge success, and they'll do more crowdfunding in order to get support. By the way, this has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's extremely rare. Oh, yeah. Also, 
for for anybody anybody that wants to parrot this nonsense that this is QAnon related, the script for this was written before Donald Trump entered the political scene. Yeah. The script for this was written in 2015. The movie QAnon, was done like five years ago. QAnon literally was not a thing when the script for this was written. Literally didn't even exist. So which one came first? In fact, if anything, this might have influenced QAnon, not the other way around. Everybody's trying to say this is heavily influenced by QAnon. This is peddling QAnon nonsense. If anything else, the, the QAnon conspiracy theory might have taken things that are that are based on true stories like this and then run with it with their wild imaginations. But but to argue that this is influenced by QAnon is complete nonsense. This was written before QAnon even existed. Yeah. Well, hold on. If you want to talk QAnon, there are some people um, attacking it from the right. Um, for instance, Tim Ballard just yesterday put out, um, you know, something saying that he's just getting attacked and accused of just every single little thing. And right now there's this fake quote going around. I tend to think that leftists will put things together that sound that are basically like right wing, um, like catnip. This is how they think we think or right. Yeah. It's like cat right, right wing catnip. They'll put it together. They'll put it out there and just see how it does. And they'll see people who are naturally averse to certain things, sharing it going, is this true? Is this true? So for instance, um, they're sharing this fake quote that isn't real, um, saying from what I've seen, I've, become convinced that micro the microchipping program is the only way to effectively protect our kids from the digital age get your kids microchipped now that's, and it, a, that's the fake quote uh, from yeah them. and yeah. they say thanks a lot um it, it says uh so this has always been the agenda this is thanks a lot tim ballard yeah and thanks a lot you know sound of freedom and here's the thing is that's not a real quote it's totally fake it's probably that even put like out by a leftist who is hoping to tamp down the right wing stuff then then here's another one um they have he's got like this tie and they're saying he's a freemason he's wearing a a freemason tie look at this freemason tie and so that kind of cues into the QAnon thing too is the freemason stuff and then there's another one um saying that like he's being brought up on um let's see um oh yeah okay so that was the microchipping stuff there was another one saying that um he's involved in some kind of Baptist um, sex ring thing. And so there's I mean, just, at this point, it just... It, he's, I, he's getting... So he actually went on his page and shared every single thing that's being said about himself yeah. and addressed every single one of them. I encourage you to go to his page on... It's Tim Ballard 89 um, on Instagram, just so you can see what he has to know, say about it. You know what was really interesting for me is that about anywhere between 12 and 15 years ago, I was at a youth camp... And Tim Ballard was speaking there mm -hmm. at Gardner-Webb University in North Carolina. And he told the exact same story that was portrayed in this movie. And that was a really neat experience, being able to see him talk about this in person and then a movie be made out of it. And so, you know, it, it, for someone who heard this story over a decade ago, um, yeah, I think it's crazy to say that this is QAnon inspired. Here, here's the here's the other thing that just infuriates me about some of these journalists as well. And and I'm going to be honest, this just kind of makes me mad ab about a lot of people within journalism. And and it's this idea that because they're sitting back from the safety, I mean they're they're always. <laughs> All right, let me let me, let me try to be fair about this. 
a lot of the journalists that that make these kind of incendiary claims, like this, like this journalist from the Rolling Stones. Um, what's his name again? Miles Clee. These tend to be the sort of people that are always close enough to see the fight, but never close enough to get any blood on them, right? They're, they're never the sort of people that actually go into the dangerous environment in order to make a difference for people that are being hurt or the innocent that they, came to, they claim to care so much about. But they love to sit on the sidelines and just sit there and nitpick everyone that is willing to risk something in order to do it. Why didn't you do it this way? Why didn't you do it that way? You should have done it this way. If you really cared, you would have done it that way. If you really cared, you get your ass off the sidelines and actually do something about it. But no, you like your comfortable position of sitting there, being able to render judgment on people braver than you, nobler than you, that are actually going out to willing to risk something to try to save somebody. And that's what, that has just become epidemic within this environment. It's the sitting around at a safe distance, complaining. It, it's the Teddy Roosevelt, who honestly I'm not a huge fan of politically. But when he wrote his, when he wrote his thing, The Man in the Arena, man, did he nail it. Man, did he nail it. Because I, I've heard some of the arguments about the sensationalism of the movie. Again, it's a movie. The movie sensationalizes everything. The Titanic took longer to sink in the movie Titanic than it did in real life. Okay? It sensationalized it. But is it true that Tim Ballard, with 10 months to go before he was retiring, decided to stay in an operation that he had been pulled back from in order to work with the government down there? Did, is it true that he staged a pretty incredible operation? I'm not going to tell you the, the specifics because you need to see the movie because I didn't realize this. He pulled off an operation at a time where not only was it a great threat to him personally and physically, but it was a great threat financially. This, this wasn't just some single guy that decided he was on a mission. This is a married guy with kids. And I can tell you right now, if, if at the point where he had already saved one child's life and decided that, you know what, I've, I've done my part, I've got, to work within, I've got to work within the boundaries that I have within my career because after all, I need to provide for my family. If he had done that, I would not have thought less of him. That, was a, that would have still been an incredible life lived. It would have still been an, an incredible sacrifice. And it still would have been a, a testimony to both his character and the effort that him and his family put through and the sacrifice they went to to save kids. But no, he decided to do something that was truly just off the charts. Right? Truly off the charts. He risked a great deal to do something they thought was good. And I'm watching as people like this want to sit there and find any sort of excuse whatsoever to denigrate him. Is the man perfect? No. Nobody is. And he didn't do it for himself. He good did it on gosh. behalf of other people. Like I, I, get, I get so worked up on this because at a time, at a time and space where the world needs more people who are not perfect but are willing to stand up and actually face danger in order to bring something noble on the, out of it on the other side, you're always going to have people like this that sit back at a safe distance and, and just denigrate and disparage and discourage them. And, and I, I want to use this to talk about the, the, next, the next gentleman that we're going to bring can up. Can I ask a question real quick yeah. from the audience? Um, Karen Hamilton said the left has shown that they are comfortable with sexualization of our, of children in our public schools. And also they are trying to delegitimize this movie and the issue of child trafficking in general. Do you think these two realities are connected or the connection is intentional for sinister purpose? And if so, what is it? 
I, I think I think something different is happening within leftism that did, didn't previously necessarily exist. The, the important thing to understand is that when you go back and you look at the history of things, again, I know we bring up critical theory a lot, but there's a reason why we do. It's because things end up being connected. If you look at guys like Michael Foucault, if you look at guys like uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, if you look at guys like Derrida, these guys were all leading thinkers within the existentialist movement, within the postmodernist movement, within the deconstructionist movement. All of these guys are like required reading in your university philosophy classes. All of these guys were critical to, to various concepts within critical theory. And all of them signed on to a letter, I think, in, what was it, 1973? It was like 72 or 73. It was in the 70s. Where they were trying to decriminalize sex with minors. Now, you look at this and you ask yourself, what, what is the connection here? I would argue, because I've tried to figure this out, it's so easy for us to just sit back and look at like, well, this is just evil, this is just bad. This is Okay, but people don't generally say, I want to be evil and then go do evil things. What they have is a desire to do something and a desire to justify that thing. So what is the mechanism they use to justify? Because if you don't understand that, if you don't understand the mechanism used to justify, you'll never understand the tactics that they're going to use to try to normalize a particular behavior. It was 1977. I just um, I, can I also point out? Well, let me let me finish this okay, thought here real quick ahead. because I want to answer this question. And so, do do I believe that everybody that is on the left, in the sense that they like social security, falls into this category? No, I'm not suggesting that everyone that happens to be a Democrat falls into this category. I am suggesting that the new woke progressive mantra is deeply rooted in critical theory, and a key component of of modern critical theory has to do with this idea that your sexual identity is paramount. Now, you have some people that are adults that just say, well, yeah, my sexual identity is X, Y, or Z, and I just want to be accepted, or I just I don't want legal prohibitions on me to being able to do it. There's other people that, that draw this to a very, very natural conclusion, because if there is no objective morality, if there is no objective law, if there is no objective truth, and these are all tenets of, of postmodernism, well, then if your sexual identity is paramount and sexual experiment or, or experience is paramount, well, then of course you're going to continue to expand the boundaries of what's included under that. And then you start to read some of the most, like Kinsey is a perfect example of this within sexual theory in the United States. If you look at Kinsey, who, who is, again, did more to readjust the way Americans thought about appropriate sexual behavior, and then you look at his own life and the sort of experiments he was performing on infants, you start to realize that what you really have here is a very, very perverse urge in search of intellectual top cover. And anybody who's going to tell me that's ridiculous, anybody who's going to start the sentence with, nobody wants to. I've heard it all before. I don't buy it anymore. I don't buy it anymore. You know what? For, for those of you who are on the left, because I'm going to tell you right now, are, are there people on the right that engage in, in horrible and, and, and uh, pedophile behavior? Absolutely. And you know what happens when we catch them on the right? We skewer them. We skewer them. We convict them. We put them in jail. We certainly don't make them required reading in political classes on philosophy when, when we find somebody in our ranks that engages in this sort of behavior, they are instant and immediate pariahs. We don't like them. They're bad. Yeah, on the left, they're protected. They're elevated, and then they become 
tenured professors. And so my question, my question is very simple. If you don't agree with this, if you really believe nobody wants to, well, we've already given you examples that know somebody wants to, and they're pretty adamant about doing it. And they're pretty adamant about expanding the, the quote unquote normalcy associated with it. The whole term minor attracted person. Yeah, that was not made up by the right. So it's real simple for those of you who are on the left, who find this every bit as, as horrible as we do, you get to stand up and police your own ranks. Because if you don't, I promise you, we'll do it for you. All right. Um, Somebody's asking if you're guilty by association, if you support a party that supports those things. I mean, I, I don't. I, I say yes. I, I don't really like guilt by association because I feel like that the United States was built around. I think it's guilt because you're aiding and embedding and you're defending. I don't think that the average like black woman Bill in Atlanta that voted this. for Joe Biden in 2020. Yeah. You know, you is, might think that, but then every single time there's anything to protect kids, you just watch, watch Nick's in the legislature. Every single Democrat votes every single time to put those kids back in harm's way. So yeah, they're part of it. I, I, I just, I have a they're hard responsible. time. I have a hard time believing that 80 million Americans are complicit in pedophilia. I just, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that characterization. I think what here's, here's going to be the true test. Here's going to be the true test, right? Because I, I, I don't necessarily agree with your statement on that one, Tina. I, I, there are certain things like, for instance, when we talked about when you put this sort of graphic sexual behavior in books in school, at the very least, you should let parents know every Democrat voted against that. Yeah. And every one of them are culpable for that. And, and I am tired of Democrats who voted for them saying nobody wants that. Uh, clearly your representative did. Right. Nick, so that's, that's, you garbage. and I are getting outvoted in the comment section. So, right so that's, <laughs> so that's, so that's garbage. But I will say this there have been other bills that we've passed with respect to legislation, increasing penalties, resources that some, the Democrats have voted for. Not all of them, but some of them have voted for. The real test, it, it, I will say this though, it is coming to a head. It is coming to a head. It used to be that there was times where you could say, I don't agree with, you know, 10% of this, but I agree with 90% over here. And so therefore I, I'm going to, I'm going to make some concessions. We're getting to a point where it comes to the, the exposure of children to sexual themes and ideas and ideas. There is coming a, a point now where I'm sorry, you're, you're going to have to accept that if you're going to continue to push a party that believes in these things, at some point you're culpable. At some point I, you're I culpable. I do agree with that. I, I do agree with that, 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 that when you are shown this type of stuff, at that point, the moral responsibility is on you, right? I, I think that yeah. a lot of people that voted for Joe Biden have no clue. A lot, You know what? A lot of people that voted for Joe Biden are being told right now by people like Noah, yeah. pedophilia apologists, don't go see this movie because it's QAnon Nazi related. Yeah. I, 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 I love, like, I showed you some screenshots from mm -hmm. people that were, were dragging on this one, um, th th this one girl that... Um, uh, has has a large following on Twitter and YouTube who used to be on the very far left and she's moved right as she's gotten older. And like they were calling her like a fascist because she wanted to go see the movie and all this type of stuff. And she was like, well, have you have you gone and seen it? Like, can you tell me what's in the movie? And they're like, no, of course not. I would never go see this. Okay. Like okay. I, I, point is, is that like a lot of people are being told don't go see this movie for a reason. Yeah. And they're not being told don't go see this movie because it's a bad movie. Because it's not a bad movie. It's actually a good movie. Yeah. Take all the ideology and political stuff out of it for a second. It's a good movie. It's actually a good movie. Yeah, um, all these, but the thing is, is okay, you mentioned earlier that like everybody who voted for Joe Biden wasn't, it's not that they're like supporting pedophilia. They didn't, it's not like they chose this. But the problem is, is that 
They'd have to ignore their own eyes. How many of us saw Joe Biden sniffing girls, sniffing little kids, sniffing women, grabbing and groping women, like overly touching and and hugging like people in a weird way. His daughter comes out and writes a book about him having inappropriate showers with her. And then like he's there's videos of him kissing his granddaughter on the lips at a campaign event. Like how many things do we need to see that look a little off for us to start going, hey, maybe some of these conspiracies aren't well, so the, far off. The, the point the point I'm making, I'm, I'm not suggesting that if you vote for a particular political party and they advance certain policies that you're not in some way responsible for those policies. You are. It, it's the question of, I don't know, I think a lot of people who are voting for the Democratic Party, right, have, have done so since they were 18, you know, and and. They honestly do not. They do honestly do not associate some of the things that are going on within the woke progressive wing of, of the Democratic Party, which is the which is the ideological leading element within the Democratic Party. Anybody that wants to tell me that moderate Democrats are are in any way intellectually formidable within the Democratic Party, I'm sorry, I just I don't believe you. I don't believe you. It woke progressivism is the ideology of the Democratic Party. I think there's a lot of people or old school Democrats who don't pay a lot of attention. This is just something they've done all their lives. This is the party that they vote for. You know, my, my great-grandmother, who was born on Christmas Day 1900, voted Democrat till the day she died. Not because she was, you know, far left-wing, you know, woke, none of those things. That's just what great-grandma did. And great-grandma was a Democrat, and she voted Democrat. The problem is, is that the parties have shifted in such a way that at this point, th- this, this, because there is such a difference within fundamental beliefs, you don't get that excuse anymore. That excuse is going away. Now, if you're the sort of person that's going to stand up and say, but I don't like Republican, I don't like the Republican party either. I think they're, I think they're weak or I think they're, you know, a bunch of traitors. Fine. Right. I'm not telling you you have to vote for a particular political party. What I am saying though, is that people are going to have to start to make a decision because again, nobody told, nobody told media matters. Nobody told the guardian, nobody told Rolling Stone, Hey, go out and trash this movie. Right on the right. Nobody said that. They chose to do it. They they chose to go in there with an agenda. They left with an agenda. And now I'm seeing a bunch of people parrot it, having never seen the movie. Oh, it's also worth pointing out that Disney tried to shelve this movie. It was originally going to be be produced and distributed through 21st Century Fox. Disney purchased Fox many years ago. Not many years ago, a few years ago. And when they did it, they acquired the rights to the movie and they shelved it. They were never going to release the movie. And the people that that worked on the movie that made it had to buy back the rights of the movie from Disney in order to get it out to the public. So yeah. at the very end of the movie, when the guy's talking about like all the hurdles or he's 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 hinting at there were a lot of hurdles to get this thing out. It almost didn't happen. He's referring to stuff like that at literally every step of the way there were powerful organizations or corporations or news outlets that were trying to stop this thing from being shown in theaters. And you have to ask yourself at some point, why is that? And I think that the reason ultimately why is pretty self-evident. If you think about it, they cannot allow, uh, they, they, they cannot allow anything that is not being pushing the narrative that they're pushing, pushing intersectionality and all of the things that we call wokeism 
um, they, they, they can't allow anything to compete against that. They have to have a, a, a monolith control over, over American culture because if they don't, if the cracks start to form, then suddenly the Leviathan that we've talked about in all of our previous episodes stops swimming to the left. Yeah. Doesn't swim if, right, but stops swimming to the well, left. We, we've, got a couple, momentarily. We, we've got a couple people here that I want to say. Chris Fagley, thank you very much for, for the donation. He goes, pedophiles should be sentenced to minimum 20 years in general population, no parole. My reasoning because is it is maddening that people who don't care for life have the moral high ground over government officials who claim to care about us. Chris, I'll, I'll tell you what, it, it's gotten ridiculous at this point to where a, a lot of times when you see things with respect to criminal justice reform. Now listen, I am someone that has carried legislation, things like civil asset forfeiture reform. I don't think the government should be able to take your property without convicting you of something, right? So I've carried stuff that falls within that moniker, but I have gradually seen how criminal justice reform has morphed from trying to make a fairer and more just criminal justice system into this automatic presumption that if somebody's in jail, it's somehow the fault of society or racism or the patriarchy or whatever else. And therefore we need to come up with all kinds of new mechanisms in order to give them a second chance or let them out earlier. Now, listen, am I someone that believes in redemption? Absolutely. But there are certain crimes for which you don't get out of jail early. And there are other crimes for which you don't get out at all. And, and, it, and it's amazing. We had a situation in Virginia where, where a child was abused, not sexually, but abused and essentially murdered. And that person was sentenced to a lesser charge and got out of jail before they ever talked to the mother with respect to what the sentencing would be. And if you think this is unique to the United States, this is happening in left-wing governments all around the world. In Spain right now, they have an election that's going on. They're, they're having a general election. And the left-wing socialists that currently control the government are in serious danger of losing this general election because the Spanish government passed a law that apparently inadvertently allowed for sexual predators to be released from prison early. And yeah. then the prime minister had to come out and be like, oh, we're so sorry. We didn't intend for this to happen. And now the right-wing parties like Vox and stuff like that are just destroying them on the airwaves, basically being like, oh, so it was either malicious intent to let sexual predators out of prison or you're too much of an idiot to realize what was in the laws that you were passing. Either way, you should be disqualified from yeah. having political power. I, I, lo I love asking that question. I'll look at people once and be like, all right, so was it deliberate or was it ignorance? Because either one disqualifies you, but I'm just, I'm just curious on whether or not you were a party to the evil or you were just dumb enough to let it happen. All right. Wandering warrior. I want to thank you too uh, for chiming in. He goes, the greatest achievement the devil ever accomplished was convincing the majority of humanity that he doesn't exist. True evil exists. I think that's true. <laughs> Obviously, I think that's true uh, from a theological standpoint, but I, I also think it's, it's interesting whenever we get into these larger theological debates about whether or not there is such a thing as good and evil, or if everything just is or is not. And, and, there was an interesting exchange between a theologian and a student that was saying that there's there's no such thing as evil, that these are just moral terms that we put onto it, but they don't come from any sort of higher order or higher morality because a lot of the problems that they fall into with this this notion of, oh, well, I can be moral without being religious. Or I can be okay, the question is, is what determines what the morality actually is? And, and they asked this one student a question. He goes, if, if someone brought a child up here right now and beat it to death in front of you, could you say that was evil? And the student actually replied, I wouldn't like it, but I couldn't say it was evil. You see, he was trying to be intellectually consistent and honest with his own worldview, and his worldview didn't allow for that. And that's one of the things that needs to be understood when we're talking about 
postmodernism, when we're talking about deconstructionism, when we're talking about critical theory, you are talking about people for which there is no ultimate moral law give. There is no objective morality. That doesn't mean they're not offering a moral structure, but it's not objective in the sense that we think about it. Like it has authority outside of ourselves or outside of the democratic process. And when you accept that from the same people that are signing letters saying that you should be able to have sex with children, understand you are accepting a reality where they believe that if enough people vote for it, it not just becomes legal, it becomes moral. And that is a very important distinction. Because if the objective of law is not to arrive at or to coincide with a pre-existing objective morality, if that's not what it is, then anything goes with the majority vote or the power to impose your will. Might makes right, right? Might makes right. It's just a question of how the right is distributed. Yeah. All right, Tyler also, he goes, with the exception of the trans movement, my pastor supports the left and continues to vote left. How would you approach someone who uses scripture to support the left's agenda feels twisted to me? I would leave that church. Tyler, I would too. And I'm not, I'm not going to mince words about it because look, listen, here, here's what I want to emphasize. God is not partisan, but God is also not neutral on the issues. And by God, I'm talking about the, the God of the Bible. I'm talking about Christianity because that's what I am. And that's what I've always emphasized. God's not partisan. But God's not neutral on the issues. And if someone is now trying to twist scripture, I, I actually listened. I listened on the floor of the House of Delegates how someone got up and said, those who are free in, in Christ are free indeed. And they were using that verse as a way to justify abortion all the way up to the point of birth with no exceptions. Wow. I'm sorry, if you are sitting under teaching, which tells you that is appropriate or, or doctrinally sound, that's heretical. The, the Bible says not to sit under false teaching. That's so just that's just heretical. That's your that's your. You don't got to. You don't again. If you don't agree with my faith, fine. But I'm telling you, there's nothing doctrinally sound. Can I, can about I say that. why it is that some some do go that route? Because because yeah. I I had a pastor that was that way when I was young. Um, what it is is it was the charity component for him. It was the idea that well, we want the government to take care of people. And the problem is, is that I, th I think that's just a gross misrepresentation or misunderstanding of the reason for charity and, and scripture, because charity is meant to be able to um, fill a need for a person, okay? Then they feel grateful toward you for filling that need, and you're then able to say, it wasn't God, or it wasn't me, it was God and point them back to Christ. And then God gets the glory for what you just did. But this is why it's so problematic for the church, because if you're voting in such a way to where the church no longer has anything to do with the charity, it's the government's job now, then who are the people grateful to? They're grateful to the government. So the government becomes God. Okay. So the Government gets the glory. So God does not get the glory. Now you've lost your opportunity to bring that person to Christ, which is the entire point anyway. The whole point of scripture and, and of even going to church is to bring others to Christ, right? That's, that's our mission, every single one of us. Well, if you're sending people to the government instead of sending people to Christ, you're out of order. And I, I feel like that's the biggest reason why this socialist thing sort of permeates in some of these churches is because they think they're doing charity with government money. 
The problem is you can only do charity with your own money. Otherwise, you're stealing it from somebody else in order to get to say that you're doing charity for this person. They're never even getting turned back to the Lord at all. And they're becoming dependent on that. While So, so you're stealing, you're making people dependent on the government, and you're propping the government up as God. So that is why I don't think that's a biblical approach. And I wish more, uh, more people in the ministry would recognize that. No, I, I agree. And I, I think... Um the, the, I want to I want to switch over to this um, interview that we did with Victor Marks, because another thing that uh, people have asked tell about, us who Victor Marks is. I'm, I'm going to okay, because I actually don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to. Um, a lot of people when when they look at this, and somebody actually brought it up in the um, in the comments section too. They said, you know, we've we've been led to believe that raising awareness is sufficient, and you're absolutely right. If you're raising awareness without any corresponding action to actually deal with the underlying problem, that what you're really doing is you're not trying to fix the problem. You're trying to fix your angst about the problem. You're pulling a Christian. And, and this It's a coping mechanism. This is you're yourself. dooming. It's self-soothing. Well, and, and, we, and this kind of goes to Tina's point as well when we talk about, like, okay, someone's in need. Okay, give them a government program. It's like, okay, well, if that isn't actually, if it's someone that you know and someone that you theor- theoretically care about, it's something, someone that you could do something for, and your response is, well, shouldn't the government do that? Do you really care about the person or do you care about your angst over the problem? And we wanted to talk to somebody that has spent over 20 years in the trenches dealing with this problem. So you you can go to IamVictorMarks.com. You can go to VictorMarks.com. You can go in and you can find out more about him. But he, he um, on VictorMarks.com, if, if you look it up, I'm going to bring it up here real quick. Um, it's um, it, it's the Pedophile Hunter Fund. <laughs> um, and and again, he's he's been doing this both domestically and overseas for over 20 years. They're heading their 20th anniversary uh, this year. And um, we did a full, I think, what was it, about a 45-minute interview with him? Yep. So that 45-minute interview we're going to put exclusively over on the Making the Argument channel. Uh, in fact, we're going to be doing some more interviews as, as time goes on, and that's going to be you know, part of our, our, our additional content for Making the Argument that we put over on the MTA channel. Um, so we're going to put the full interview over there, but we wanted to do, we want to do a couple clips from this and have a conversation because, um, I, again, I don't, we, we've said this before on this channel. Um, there, there's any, there's any number of shows out there. There's any number of conservative oriented shows out there that will be happy to get you angry or get you scared and then not leave you with anything else except to come back and watch the next episode. And, and, and our purpose has always been how are we actually not only talking about issues or, or challenges, but how are we actually helping people develop either responses or capabilities? What do you do about it? Um, and, and uniquely, what do you do about it that doesn't necessarily require you to wait around for a politician to do it for you? And Victor is one of those guys that um, he, didn't, he didn't wait for someone else to do it. And um, I, I got to be careful about what sort of spoilers we give in here, but just an incredible background. Let, let's go ahead and let's you're, go. Ahead you're and going to the, be able to see the entire interview on Friday when it's uploaded to the Making the Argument channel. I don't get I don't get choked up easy, um, but man, uh, this interview did it. Um, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and watch the first clip. Yep. This is a battle between good and evil. Ultimately, that's what everybody has to remember, and you kind of know where people stand now on issues of courage, morality. And now in the last, this was the last possible 
frontier of what is right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And no one ever thought we would be trying to defend a position to protect children. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, someone who's been in this space for 20 years now, uh, it's we've seen the tsunami building of evil against children, and now it's right in our face. So for context, I'd like your audience to understand that um, we talk about children who were trafficked or abused, sexual abused and used. Uh, I'm a survivor leader of an organization. So I went through stuff as a child, um, ages three to seven was the worst of it. And I've been, you know, all the things that shouldn't happen to a kid happened to me. And I was uh, used by more than one person. It was multiples, female and male. And then I was uh, tortured. Um, I've been electrocuted, dunked in a tub till I passed out. Um, and what people actually know me the most for uh, globally is the gun disarm, right? The yeah, world's fastest gun disarm. Pause right here. And I, when he said this, that's so heartbreaking. I, I've been on Victor Marx's podcast a couple of times now. When he said this, I realized that I had met him like 10 years ago at a friend's house. Really? I realized I had met him like 10 years ago at a friend's house up in DC. He was a former, um, former Intel officer with, with SF, with the unit, with everything else. And he invited me to come up and meet this guy that does the, the world's fastest firearm uh, disarming. Yeah. And, 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 and it's just, I mean, it's incredible. Um, oh, I wish you had it, a clip of it you, on here. You see this stuff in the movies and you're like, that's so lame. And then you're standing there and you're watching it in person as this guy does it. And you get, understand, my buddy Mike, who invited us all up to, to, to meet Victor and learn more about the work that he did and, and also the, the, the firearm disarming, um, it, we're not we're not guys that are, you know, uncomfortable with or not used to being around firearms. All of us are guys who have not just like gone to the range and shot. Most of us were guys have gone down range and shot. Like we we know what it is to be in in violent high tense situations, and we're watching this guy take away guns from us. Like holy crap! He explains he explains why. Um, in the interview, was he in the military? Yeah, he was. Okay. He was. He was the Marine Corps. But um, he explains why specifically that became something that he decided to become good at. And I'm. And we're not going to show it here. You're going to have to watch the interview. Um, but again, you're you're talking about someone, and, and you you see Victor Marks, and you see him talk. He he does a lot of uh, you know speaking appearances. Obviously, he does a lot of other um, events. And I mean, Victor's a big guy, right? He's a former Marine. He he hunts down pedophiles domestically and overseas. And he's got another story he shared with us in the interview about going after someone overseas that was just incredible. Just incredible. Um, but he's a big dude. There's, there's nothing about this guy that suggests to you weakness. Right? Big dude. And, and, and he's, he's lived a life that has unfortunately had to include, you know, later on, it, it's included a lot of violence. It's included a lot of going into very, very dangerous situations in order to save people. And, and it stems from the fact that he knows what it is to go through that from ages three to seven. You know, it, it's really yeah, that, easy. It's really easy to look at this Victor Marks, right? And think that's a dude nobody would mess with. Yeah, he's like late 40s, early 50s, but he's buff, large, um, 
I'm, I'm trying to describe him yeah. for the audio listeners, right? That like this guy does not look like the type of person that you, you want to like the, get into a bar fight with. You Victor, know what? Victor I would Marks. say he's really imposing looking, but he also has a really, really kind face. Yeah. From but, a, but at know, one point in time, he was a little kid. Victor Marks looks like he, he walked out of central casting for being a badass. <laughs> Right, but it's true, but but like but at I said, three to seven, he was none of these things. At he, three to seven, he was completely vulnerable and at the mercy of the people that that were abusing and torturing him. And and he and he talks he talks a little bit more about it in the interview. But the, the reason the reason why I wanted to share this part is because I want people to understand that when you're when you're learning more about Victor Marx, when you're learning more about his organization, all things possible, um, you're talking to somebody that didn't just decide that they were going to do this because they saw a movie. You're talking about someone that has been very, very deeply uh, involved in it. And, and he talks a little bit about wanting to be, wanting to be the sort of person that he wished would have showed up to save him. And man, it's just, man, that's really compelling. It, right it's, there. it's incredibly impactful, but he, he got out of this. He went to the Marine Corps. Do we have the other clip where he talks about the types of, um, where he's talking about abuse, the difference between, like we, we all the all the discussion right now is on trafficking, mm -hmm. and there was one thing that that he wanted to mention. Do we have that clip? Yep. Okay, let, let's bring up that clip because this this is an important distinction that that uh, not even necessarily distinction. It's an important element to understand about this problem uh, with respect to uh, abuse uh, for people in general, abuse for children, and, and trafficking and whatnot. So go ahead and let's go and play that. Is there a specific moment when when you felt? like just assured or confident that, no, this, this is it. Was it something with just between you and God? Was it something with your, with your, your wife? Like what, how did that, can you explain that for us? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I remember being in the Marine Corps the last six months before I got out is when I got born again and I was inquiring of God, what do you want me to do? All I know I do is shoot and smash people. And, um, and he gave me a scripture that said, endure affliction and do the work of an evangelist. And I mean, that was seared into my soul. So I was like, well, I like the second part evangelism <laughs> that it, that I've thought, I thought of endured, but he knew I would have to endure more. And it was just being faithful to follow him daily. Cause that's, that's the payday, not something tremendous. And everybody thinks about exploits, heroic exploits. And it's like, yeah, just do what's before you. Then when you're doing other things, all it is is a natural response to a lifetime of obedience in what people would consider small. But when we went into starting our organization, All Things Possible, 20 years ago, we're actually celebrating 20 years this year. Wow. And we started going into youth prisons. And that was my introduction to what I thought was going to tell my story and help kids hearing their stories blew me away and it it is nonstop and reaching those children first i'm talking about from eight years old up to 17 18. Uh, one kid we sang uh, happy birthday to he was crying sobbing in a corner everybody's like what's wrong he goes no one has ever sang that song to me pause right there in 18 years 
This is a different clip, but this is an important one. So to get back to the point I was trying to make earlier, because I think it's later on in that first clip. And again, we're, we're not trying to reveal too much. We want people to see the full interview within context because it's important. In the other clip he was talking about, he goes, you know, he goes, whenever someone says trafficking to me, I always ask, what do you mean? Do you mean human trafficking? Do you mean trafficking for labor? Do you mean trafficking for, um, you know, I mean sex trade trafficking? Like children. And, and the reason why he points this out is, is he goes, trafficking is one component of this. He goes, but the abuse that's happening to that child by their parent or by their step parent or by their uncle right down the street, he goes, that's, that's every bit as relevant as to the story that you will see in sound of freedom, where we're talking about a child being kidnapped in Honduras and taken to Colombia and then trafficked to Mexico and then up across the border of the United States. He goes, he goes, I get it. He goes, we, we need to talk about it. He goes, but we also need to understand that that sort of child abuse, that that sort of exploitation that's happening down the street. And, and when we were, we were talking more about like, okay, what do you, what do you do about this sort of thing? He, he was, he was explaining how, how he started was not, you know, going down to Cartagena, right. And, and running and running black ops, how he started was going into youth prisons and just talking to people that had found themselves there. And in many cases had been, had been just victims of violent and horrible abuse. And one of the things all of us need to understand about how do you actually do something impactful to be able to stop this sort of abuse directed against people in general and directed against children specifically, it, it doesn't start in the black op in Cartagena. Don't get me wrong. You may find yourself in a position. You may have the particular skill set to where that sort of effort is required of you. But for a lot of people, what this really starts with is just be a good, be a strong and observant and knowledgeable parent, right? It protect your kids from being the abused in the first place. Because one of the things we know about this is a lot of the people currently abusing were horribly abused themselves. And so when, when your child is coming up to you saying, I, I don't, I don't want to have a sleepover at their house. Oh no, they're your friend. They're, no, no, no. If they don't want, if they're uncomfortable about something, you listen to that. If, if they're saying they're uncomfortable around that particular uncle or that particular aunt or whatever it is, you listen to that, right? Don't assume that, that just letting them go over to the neighbors is perfectly fine because you've known them for five or 10 years. You don't know. And when your kid is giving some sort of indication, when there's some sort of discomfort that they're not capable of articulating, being sensitive to that and just asking questions. Now, now, could it be that your kid had a, a bad? Sure, maybe, it, maybe that's all it is. Maybe, it, maybe it's not something more sinister. But the question that you do have to ask yourself is: Okay, more and more as time goes on, as we find more and more situations where all of a sudden exposure to sexual themes and ideas is taking place at a much younger, much younger age, whether it's something that they stumble across on the internet because, quite frankly, they have access at way too young or whether it's something their friend who is an otherwise good person has had access to and now has questions and wants to start doing and trying things that they saw or whether it's something that's being taught in their kid's public school class because it is. And anybody that tells you it isn't is lying to you or is horribly ignorant, so ignorant that you shouldn't be taking advice from them. These are things that you have to be more aware of as a parent and that doesn't make you a helicopter parent. That doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're just, just overly involved in every aspect of your kid. No, this is what we're supposed to do. Protecting children starts with protecting our own. Oh, and the left will call you a helicopter parent. I've seen so many uh, teachers in the school system talking about helicopter parents because they want to know what's in the curriculum. 
So, you know what? They're, they're always going, they're going to demonize toxic mas- masculinity and, and say you shouldn't have any violence because you're a threat to predators. And then they're going to say that you're a helicopter mom because you won't let them just ram whatever they want down your kid's throat. Yeah, Finn, Finn asked the question, Nick, according to your understanding, how best can we make a difference in our sphere of influence and who best uses financial support in this cause? That's a great question. And that's that's kind of what we're talking about right now. The, step number one is it, it's, it, start, it always starts with your own house, right? It always has to start with your own family. Um, because th- those are the, I'm, I'm not saying that you don't have, I'm not saying that we all don't have on some level an obligation to be able to defend the, the innocent among us, but it has to start in your own home. If you're, if you're busy out doing other things and your own children are, are being harmed, there, there's an obligation that's being neglected. And so, so start with that and, and, and start with just, just very, very basic things to understand that the more your, the more your children, there's, there's, I forget what the scripture is, um, where, where it talks about not awakening, um, not awakening certain things in your child before they're of, of the maturity or understanding to be able Don't to awaken love before it's yeah, ready. But there we it's... go. That's what it is. Don't awaken love before it's ready, which, which can mean two things. One, it can mean, you know, don't involve yourself in relationships for which you're not ready. But another, it can also be interpreted with respect to the, the things that your children are exposed not to. Not to awaken certain responses and... Yeah. And, and, and there's this idea now we, we've had this theory now for decades that the, the way that we were going to curtail teen pregnancy, the way that we were going to curtail, curtail other things was more exposure to sexual ideas because clearly it was ignorance, right? It was ignorance of sex that was leading to misunderstandings of how babies are made. Okay. Well, we, we've had decades now of ever increasing levels of exposure to young children, to sexual themes and ideas and if you're going to tell me that this is actually helping with the problem, I'm going to say you're either horribly unaware of what's going on or you're convinced that the only real problem was pregnancy. And I, and I honestly believe that for some people on the left, that's, that's the number one thing they wanted to take care of. Number one thing you wanted to take care of was, quote, unwanted pregnancies. Well, as long as you have condoms and as long as you have abortion, problem solved. Yet we have a generation of young people that are now being exposed to these sexual themes, engaging in sexual experimentation which at this age might as well just be called ex- exploitation. And it is doing long-lasting emotional and physical damage to them. And then you have this whole wing going, well, hey, as long as they don't have a kid from it, I guess we did our jobs. No, you didn't. Oh, because yeah. even that carries horrible emotional baggage with it. The, the abortion industry is built on this kind of thing. You think about it. Who protects these situations so you're like oh rape incest child of the you know life of the mother right those are your reasons for like even people on the right will be like okay rape incest life of the mother rape and incest you guys so the evidence from the rapist and the evidence from the uh person who caused the incest usually a father an uncle a brother or something like that those their evidence of their crime is being washed down the drain at a Planned Parenthood near you. I mean, that is what they do. They've, they've been caught in sting operations over and over and over again, protecting pedophiles, protecting these people who are hurting their children or someone else's children, protecting pimps who are bringing, bringing the women that they control, that they hold in sex slavery to the abortion mill to get the abortion so they can get them right back out on the street and make them more money. 
And that's that's what the abortion industry does. They're a billion dollar industry and they capitalize on the exploitation of women and women who are in crisis. Crystal Bader asks, thank you for calling out how human trafficking is violent, leftist brainwashing, gender experimenting on, on minors isn't sustainable, ethical. It permanently destroys reproductive ability without a fair understanding of consequences. No, it, 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 when we're seeing more and more of this. When, whenever you see this doctor talk about things like, well, first of all, it started off with, nobody wants gender reassignment surgery for minors. That's not happening. And then we found out it was. And was the response to come back and say, oh my gosh, that's horrible. We shouldn't do it. No, it was to denigrate the people that were calling it out. Then it was puberty blockers are completely reversible. What a joke. Like on, on some base level, you should understand that, that intervening on a 10 or 11 year old, because you ain't blocking puberty at 13 and 14 in most cases, no intervening with, with hormones at 10 or 11 to subvert the natural process of puberty to suggest that that will have no long-term consequences whatsoever. Really? Really? It, it's amazing to me. Like I, I understand, I, I will see certain people and, and that are, that are skeptical of like, let's say GMOs, which I think is perfectly appropriate, right? But the, what I've noticed is the people on the right that are skeptical of GMOs are also skeptical of doctors telling them that puberty blockers is not gonna have long-term effects on their kids. People on the left will be skeptical of GMOs when it comes to their grocery cart, but not with hormones when it comes to their kids. Tim Cotton asked, please provide a reference for that Bible passage. It's Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon 8.4. All right, let's let's go into um, kind of the, I, I want to continue along this theme of what do you actually do. So that that's step one. Be wary of, of your own family, of your own children, what you can what you can do. Um, do we have another clip for? Um, he also talked about the, there was the financial contributions. Who can you donate to that is is doing the sort of work that you would want to see done? Um, and, and doing it in an ethical manner. There, there's different organizations out there. The, the reason why um, I'm partial to uh, all things possible in Victor Marx's organization is because I, I actually, I know him. Um, I, I don't, I don't know some of the people in some of the other organizations. That's not to say they're not doing the great work. I, I would say, always be careful, do your research. We, we actually talked a little bit about this with uh, Victor in the interview because Victor talked about it. We saw the same thing with veterans organizations at the height of the global war on terror. There were certain veterans organizations that were really, really good at raising money but they didn't do a whole lot when it actually came to the purpose for why they were raising the money in the first place. And that can be true of any organization. So one of the things that you want to do is do a little bit of research, get to know why somebody got into this in the first place. Why are they doing it? What's their motivation? What sort of operations they're doing? Again, I can look at all things possible and they, they will tell about the stories that they've engaged in. They will tell about the work that they do. Again, domestically, he's very upfront about the fact that he goes, look, he goes, I don't want to give you this impression that we're going around kicking indoors within the United States. We're oftentimes working with, with at-risk youth, working with youth that's already in the jails. We're, um, we're, we're working with people that can identify dangerous situations and then work in conjunction with local law enforcement to make sure that, that person is arrested and go through the proper channels. Because the last thing you want is to go in there like flipping John Wayne, screw up evidence, and now you've destroyed the case against somebody that, that needs to go to jail for a long time and now won't because you wanted to be a cowboy, right? So I, I look for people that understand both, but, but have a passion and a capability, but also understand the nuance with respect to how you're doing this within the country that you're operating. Victor also does work overseas as well, because as the movie kind of highlights, there's a big problem within the United States, especially with the consumption. Uh, child, child, if we say certain things, 
Um, it's already been said at this point. Okay, yeah. So child pornography and things like that, these are things that um, fund and, and fuel uh, the, the, the demand for this, right? Understand that when there is a demand, supply rises up to meet that demand. And so one of the things that we need to do is, is also look at how are, we, how are we addressing the demand as well as the supply. Um, and so that's one of the things that, that Victor's organization focuses on. So I, I think he takes a very comprehensive approach. I think he, um, I think they, they look at the sort of activity that they do and they tailor it toward the environment that they're in. One of the things I always talk about within special forces that they just hammered into us consistently was understand your operational environment. And I think Victor does a lot of it. I think he, he works to understand the operational environment and then uses the most appropriate tools within that environment to achieve the outcome, which is to save kids from being abused, whether it's being trafficked or whether it's right down the street from them. So I, I think that's important. I think that's one of the things that make them uh, an, an incredible organization to, really to financially see, support. You're really going to want to see the interview, be, um, which is going to be, for those of you who are just now joining us, it's going to be released on the Making the Argument channel, which yeah. I put, I dropped a link in the chat. Go down, click that link. If you can, just go over and subscribe real yeah. quick. Um, yeah. Hit that so that you don't miss anything over there because we'll, we're going to be releasing different content over there. And you're going to be able to see this, which is really worth the watch. So I I, I feel bad for making people wait till Friday to see it. So I, I'll have it out on Wednesday. We'll, okay. we'll move up the timeline Ooh, a little Wednesday. bit. And um, so, yeah, on the MTA channel on Wednesday, probably around 5 to 6 p.m. And we'll drop a link in the community chat as well uh, for everybody there, too. Yeah. So let, let's look at this from um, let's look at this from the, the last the last part here, which is what, what can you do about it? So, one, take care of your own family. Be conscientious. Be aware. Um, if your school is engaging in things or, or activities or exposing your kids to idea that you don't think they're ready for, and by the way, that's your decision. I'm so tired of being told that I have to be managed by the experts. The experts get it wrong all the time. Now, do I have a problem with expertise? No, I think expertise is incredibly valuable and it can be used in valuable ways. I think people that have a degree that calls themselves an expert when they have a history of making a whole host of really, really bad decisions and coming to inaccurate or ridiculous conclusions is not someone that should be followed simply because they have a bunch of letters after their name, right? So let's make that distinction. It, it is, I don't think it's difficult I don't think it's difficult to, to ascertain certain things about if your child is uncomfortable in certain situations, being aware that, again, when you're sending your kid over to a sleepover now, I don't care how well you know the parents. You don't know what everything goes on in that house. You don't know everything that goes on with the kid. Now, does that mean you should cancel out all sleepovers ever? No, but be aware. Yeah. Understand. Like even if the parents but, are Christians, um, I know of a specific situation where there's Christian parents and the little kids were like, hey, do you want to see this weird thing I saw on the internet? And they're trying to have kids watch some things on the internet that have naked people in them. And this is at a Christian person's house. And when they realized it was going on, they they shut it down real fast. But they had no idea it would ever happen to them. So don't just assume that, oh, these people go to my church. Don't just assume that. Just well, don't. And, and you know what? For me, like sleepovers are kind of a thing of the past anyway. And the reason why is because of all of this gender garbage and all of this LBGTQ stuff. But Tina, you're not a biologist. Because like, <laughs> there, I would never let my daughter go stay at a little boy's house 
Why would now little girls are attracted to little girls? So why would I let her go stay at little girl's house? Because they're going to start messing around with each other. And if you think it doesn't happen, it happens, man. Well, this, it really does. Well, and, and the more and the more exposure to these ideas at an earlier age, which again, this is the part where I, I draw I draw such a firm line in the sand. It's this idea. Well, no, no, no. All we're doing is making sure that they understand kind of the dynamic. Like, not your place. Not your place. Stay away from my kid. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the NAEP scores coming out, which the NAEP is the national report card, right, for schools. When you can do a halfway decent job teaching kids how to read, maybe we can discuss other things. But until that point, how about you leave intimate sexual conversations or, or conversations of a sexual nature up to parents right? And you just focus on the, uh, on the reading, the writing, the math. How about we have, how about we have a, a, a ceasefire right. and all that other stuff. And you do the things that none of us disagree on, right? And then just focus on that. But no, they want to make this a critical point. And that's the thing where you have to start asking yourselves, okay, if I'm sending my kids into these environments, questions are going to start to be asked. And when those questions are asked, especially in school settings where they're now increasingly trying to hide information from parents, what they're subtly doing there is they're teaching kids that there's other ways to get information about this other than their parents. This used to be something that we, we identified very early on as that's problematic. That's grooming. Now, all of a sudden, it's something that we're encouraging within our school system. So just look, be aware. It always, always, always starts with yourself, your own habits, and your own house. The other thing I will tell you right now, a huge industry for child trafficking is the pornography industry. It just is. Now, am I saying that every single element within pornography? Now, look, I believe, I believe pornography is bad. I believe it's immoral. Period. The end. If you don't, that's your belief. It ain't mine. But I will say this. There is, there is a lot of, a lot of what drives human trafficking is found within pornography because all consumption of human trafficking is not somebody stealing a kid from Honduras and then trafficking them over the border. It's the sort of things they're doing with those kids on video and then they're putting online. So that is a component and, and it cannot be denied. That is a component. So just keep that in mind. If you're consuming that and you're thinking, oh, no, 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 I would never watch that. There is a really interesting point in Sound of Freedom. I'm, I'm, again, trying to be careful with the spoilers. There's a really interesting point in Sound of Freedom where somebody who is helping, helping them to rescue kids, shares an experience they had with a prostitute who they thought was an adult and wasn't. So just keep that in mind. You don't know that what you're consuming is, is just purely between two consenting adults. You don't know it. So just please keep that in mind. That starts with the things that you do with respect to your own behavior, with respect to your own family. The other thing you can do, and, and uh, one of the people in the comments section brought this up, I think it was uh, J.A., um, you can donate to organizations that are out there fighting this, working with law enforcement. You can uh, work within the legislature to make sure that the, the various resources are getting the proper funding and they have the, the proper authorities to be able to work together with other organizations in order to identify um you know, child, people that are engaging in child abuse, people that are engaging in human trafficking. And I want to make, again, I want to make sure we understand this. Not every victim of child abuse, right, is a victim of human trafficking, right? But we want to save both kids. So some of that is through the legislative side. The other part, this is the, this is the last part I'll, I'll talk about here. And, and Victor and I talk about this um, in the interview where there, there are some people that want to do more. And, and Victor talks about, he goes, look, he goes, every once in a while I'll run into somebody 
that. Are we going to show that clip or no? I don't think we're not going to show that clip here. We have it. I know, but we're, I don't want to show it here. You got to. I want people to watch the interview, <laughs> but I'm just going to give a, a quick part of. It. He talks about look. He goes, I got some people that, you know, they're they're 40 pounds overweight and they know how to shoot a bow and they want to they want to go in and kick doors and. He goes, you need to be humble on how you're going to do this. He goes, you need to be humble. You need to pray about it. You need to ask how God would have you serve within this environment. If you feel led to serve and find this, how, how would you do it? What's the best way for you to do it? What's the way that you can actually have the most impact, not just address your angst over the problem? He said, but having said that, yeah, there are some people with, you may have a skill set. You may have been trained in what you did within law enforcement. Or if you're willing to be trained, because he even talked about some that weren't trained before yeah. that were willing to become trained. He goes, you you may have a capability, you may have a capacity. We actually talk about this in a video we just did on why dad should be dangerous. You may have a capacity, you may have a capability that just needs to be developed and trained. Um, he goes, and we also do that. He has a training center out in Colorado. Um because you may have a skill set. You may have been in law enforcement. You may have been in the military. You may have something that you can bring to bear to this fight that is unique and that it is desperately needed. He goes, but even then, he goes, I'm going to ask you to do it in humility. He goes, you have to ask yourself why you're doing this. If you're doing it because you just want to, you desperately want to beat the crap out of one of these guys. He goes, I get it. I get it. He shares some stories. Um, but if you, you have to first and foremost be doing this because you are specific, you're called to do it and you're doing it out of love for the child. Because if you're doing it out of love for saving that child, for saving the innocence of that child and rescuing them, he goes, you're far more likely to make the correct decision than if you're just doing this out of some sense of vengeance or, or a quest for, for justice against the people that perpetrate this. He goes, oh, that's fine. He goes, but it, it's got to be focused. It's got to be focused on saving that child. You so, know, there's a tweet from uh, Oran McIntyre, go go follow his Twitter account if uh, if you haven't. For those that are listening, it's it's pretty good. Um, he, I think he's a writer for the Blaze. I, I anyway, he's a, he's a conservative influencer. Um, it's a famous tweet where he says, "It's not rocket science, guys. They're just evil and want to diddle kids." And you know, I, to to some degree, I disagree with that, and to because I, I do feel like that there's an ideological component of why people are trying to sexualize children. I think it gets back into breaking down the family unit, because that is, quite frankly, I think one of the that and tearing down all forms of organized religion are the two implicit goals of of Marxism in order for it to be achieved is is destroying faith structures and destroying family units. Um, so I, I do feel like that there's there's a bit of an ideological component of this, even for those who don't necessarily realize it. I, for example, I think that that, you know, some of these like elementary school teachers that libs of TikTok shares all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't think they've actually personally read a word of Marx in their life. Yeah, I, I don't I don't even think they know who who Antonio Gramsci is. Right. Or Duchke or Sartre or any of those people. Right. Um, but they're still pushing for that type of stuff without necessarily realizing it. And so I do think that there's an ideological component of it. So Oran's tweet is not necessarily entirely correct. But yeah, there, there is still an element of it that is just, there is just plain old evil in the world, right? And there, there, there's no other motivation behind that, right? There's no ideological, political motivation behind it. I think that they're both true. Um, and sometimes they intersect. But um, the, the, the fact is, is that, you know, just, just ask yourself, who is, uh, is telling you otherwise? right? Who, who is telling you this is not the case? And ask yourself, what motivations do they have for telling you that it's not the case? Are you, are they telling you that because they genuinely think that's true? Or are they telling you that because they don't want you to, I mean, 
remember when the New York Times ran that article saying don't go down the rabbit hole, right? Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, don't investigate things yourself because you might end up becoming self-radicalized or something like yeah. that. Like, I, I, I'm sorry, if, if learning the truth makes you radicalized, then you need to ask yourself, what is their definition of radicalization at that point? Um, so I, I don't know. I haven't actually seen this interview yet, so I'm actually quite excited to watch. I guess I'll watch it on Wednesday on, on the Making the Argument channel when it goes out. Are we going to share it on audio as well when it... Yeah, we'll be sharing on audio. Cool, so it'll be like a bonus episode for people. Yeah, we definitely, again, we, uh, this is, there's a, there's a reason, there's a reason why we, we chose to really, um, talk to Victor about this and make sure that people were aware of his organization because the, the worst thing that could, I wouldn't say the worst thing, but let's just say a pretty bad thing that can happen from all of this is everybody watches a movie and thinks, wow, yeah, I did my part. I went to go, I supported sound of freedom by going and watching the movie and, and then doesn't do anything beyond that. I mean, literally if it's, if it's just, you watched it, you understood or you donated or it was something where you were just more aware of something within the world. And you decided, you know what, at the very least I, you know, again, I'm, I'm not able to run Black Ops in Cartagena, but I am able to be a little bit more observant with respect to what my own child is exposed to to make sure that this never happens to them. And I'm not talking about someone, I'm not talking about someone rolling down in a van with no windows that says free candy on the side and kidnapping your kid. I, I'm talking about just understanding that so much of, so much of what happens is, is subtle in the way it starts and then it snowballs into something else. And you as a parent have a unique, not just responsibility, but I would argue a privilege. You you have the privilege of shepherding your child through those early formative years so that they can get through them strong and aware and emotionally, spiritually, and physically intact. And we, and we treat this nowadays like it's a burden. Oh, I can't wait till the kids are out of the house. I can't wait till the kids are out of the house. No, this is, this is one of the most important things that you will ever do with your life. It's far more important than your career. It's far more important than side projects. It's far more important. Your children leaving and looking back one day going, gosh, I really appreciate that my mother and father took the time, expended the energy, cared enough to be able to do these things. Ladies and gentlemen, that's how civilization survives. It's also that's how, how it, it survives. And yeah, and the neglect of it is how it dies. Yeah, handing it over to handing it over to a bunch of experts that have never met your kid will never love them as much as you do, but but gives you a sense that well, gosh, you know what? I listened to the experts, therefore I did my job. You should be the expert on your kid. So look, if you're if you're looking for things to do, again, I, I think um, I think all things possible. I think Victor Marks. If you want to learn more about his story too, I am victormarks.com. Um, is another great way to learn some of it. They've got testimonials up there um, that, that you can learn about his personal story. They also did a movie with respect to Victor and, and his experiences. And um, again, you 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 understand pretty quickly on, on why uh, Victor's so passionate about this. Um, but but I would argue that there's a lot of people that they've had things done to them and they've tried to make a difference in one way, shape, or form. And and I think Victor really really again felt that felt the calling uh, through prayer. Um, and, and again, I, I love that part where he, where he talks about, you know, six months from getting out of the military and hey, what, what am I going to do? How, how am I going to be used? And it was, you know, the idea of, well, there, there's going to be, there's going to be suffering and go forward and take it and then, and evangelize. And I like how he said, yeah. I, 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 I like, like the, the second part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but how again, did you meet him? I have a few questions. Since well, well again, it, again, it was, it was, we, we were on the podcast. I said, I think I met you 10 years ago at, at Mike's place. He's like, you're kidding me. Like he instantly knew who I was talking about. Um, 
that's how I met him. And well, and, and, well, yeah. I, I meant like in this context, how did you two get connected? To I think get this he, I think he found up? us through our Instagram, Instagram page. Yeah. That's, found us that, our Instagram that's page. hilarious. Okay. Nick isn't going to share this story. Um, because he's too humble. But when we went to go see the movie yesterday, the four of us all went to go see the movie, Nick, Tina, myself, and Hamilton. After we left, um, we were we were walking out to the parking lot and there was somebody that had also watched the movie and walked up to him and they're like, are you that guy from Instagram? <laughs> I've and, and he had actually apparently been following you since uh, your first viral speech, the Martland speech, yeah. which was your first session, your first year in office. So he, he was an OG follower. Um, I... Um, it's, it's interesting because I've heard these like stories of, of people that like will stop you. Um, but I've, I don't think I've ever like seen it in person, mostly because I've been friends with you since before you were famous. And, (laughs) and so like, it was just kind of cool, like in person to see, um, you know, the, the work that Nick has done and, and the stuff that he's done, you know, bearing fruit in the sense that like a total random stranger you know, we'll, we'll stop him at a movie theater and be like, I know you, you should keep doing the stuff that you're doing. Um, I don't know. I, I felt really vindicated, not myself. Right. But like, like seeing Nick, um, you know, actually, you know, connect with people like that. So that was, that was really, really cool. Nick will never share stories like that. There's a lot of stories Nick will never share, but like this type of thing has always been sort of, I guess, an area that that has been um like a personal burden to Nick. It's like it's like he like I, I would I would guess if he got the opportunity to go and kick in some doors to do this, he would uh jump at it. That's the real reason he's interested in this. He's going up to Victor Marks being like, how can I help out? But how like can- what's interesting <laughs> is just like <clears throat> it might have been like five years ago, we had a, a local situation where someone was taken. And Nick helped negotiate her return. Um, And that's not something that he shares and like he won't share it, you know, like on a campaign or anything like that. But the thing is, is that um, like this is a very real thing. And um, the girl who had been returned actually got a chance to meet Nick. So it's he worked on um, this kind of thing before. And I feel like it's... uh, I don't know. I, I'm starting to just kind of see a calling develop here in in my estimation that this is, I don't know. It's it's just important. Well, let me go ahead and uh, let me go ahead and wrap this up. First of all, I want to thank everybody for watching. Thank everybody for your comments, donations, um, and and for again your concern over this issue and and asking genuine questions about how you can do it uh, or how you can actually do something. So we talked about the personal responsibility, right? For yourself, what do you do? What do you? Con- what sort of what sort of things do you consume that can potentially be contributing to this? Right. And then making a decision not to consume those things, because, again, you don't know. I'm not saying you're out there purposely searching for stuff of people that have been exploited, but you just never know. Secondly, besides bad for you anyways, secondly, um, you know, the the idea of of taking care of your own children, the idea of donating to organizations. Again, I think I think Victor Marks and and, um, all things possible is a great one. Um, The other one is, are you going to utilize your skill set? And again, it's very easy to to hold up the whole idea of of kicking in doors and doing stuff like that. But I want to talk about, I want to talk about a couple of other venues for, for those of you that that's your skill set. And that, that was me, right? I I was an infantryman. I was a paratrooper. I was a green beret kicking in doors was part of the job description. Um, But there's also a, a lot of need for people that have technical ability. 
Um, th- there was an ethical hacker that was interviewed by uh, Sean Ryan on the Sean Ryan show not too long ago, where he talked a lot about how he worked with law enforcement to uncover various rings that were that were engaging in this sort of activity, this sort of abuse, and being able to expose and, and bring them to justice. And if you have a technical skill set like that, that is critical, because because kicking in the door and going through is is I mean, hey, look, there's a reason why I, I chose that as a career path, right? I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, being the guy to show up to scare the living hell out of the bad guy. Thoroughly enjoyed it. But I will tell you that the people that are able to gather the evidence to to make the connections, make the links, and, and being able to do that digitally is critical. If that's a skill set that you have, please don't think that that you just got to go kick in the door. It Without the intel, ops don't happen. Without the intel, ops don't happen. If you have that sort of technical skill set, please understand that there's a huge there's a huge need for it. Another one I, I want to talk about, and this was a, a thing that was brought up in the movie as well, is the whole the power of storytelling. Um, the the ability to find stories like this and to be able to get them exposure. If you're the sort of person that does have the capability of, uh, you know, from the video editing skills to the cinematography skills to the, you know, the, the again, that arts and entertainment. Arts and entertainment is powerful. There is a reason why. There is a reason why regimes would go in and when they were, they were attempting to conquer a particular area, they would deny them access to musical instruments. They would deny them access to certain things within the arts and the entertainment because there is something about with respect to video, with respect to writing, with respect to music that inspires people to be able to do the bold and the noble and the brave in the face of overwhelming odds. And if you're someone that has that sort of capability, there is a need for that. We need the storytellers to be able to shed light on things that some people, to include at times powerful people, don't want light shed on. And again, it may not be kicking in the door, but if, if again, if, if this movie hadn't been made, if, if Victor Marx hadn't reached out to me at one point, it's not that I don't acknowledge that there was a problem. I might have even gone through life thinking that I, I was doing my part just by taking care of my kids or, or by helping in the legislature with, with trying to make sure that resources were available or that criminal penalties you know, passed the legislature. But I might not have asked deeper questions about, okay, well, no, what, what, can you, what more could you potentially do? Is this something you're being called on? Is this something you're being called to do? And that storytelling is incredibly, incredibly important. They, they bring this up in the movie about how Abraham Lincoln credited Harriet Beecher Stowe with Uncle Tom's Cabin as awaking people to the evils of slavery that they kind of understood existed but were at the peripherals and didn't really fully understand it until there was a story that they could grasp onto and relate to. And if you're one of the people that have that ability as an author, as, as a cinematographer, whatever it is, if you're one of the people that has that capability, that talent is desperately needed because as everyone at this table has acknowledged and talked about, there was a reason why Disney had this five years ago and buried it. And there's a reason why there are certain entities that want to be able to control what the culture views. Because if you can control what the culture views, you can ultimately control the destiny. There was somebody that once wrote, I can't remember what poet was. He goes, let me write the songs of a nation. I care not who writes its laws. And that's the understanding that politics and everything else is downstream from culture. And when these stories get out, they have a tremendous impact. And more and more, as this cultural battle continues, and they can call it the cultural wars and they can make that pejorative, but I will tell you what, the people that are screaming the loudest about ignoring the cultural wars are the ones that started it and are the ones that continue to fight it. 
And if we don't do a good job fighting on that plane as well, within arts, within entertainment, within telling the story, we will be fighting a losing battle ultimately. So I'm going to ask you to, to look at the different skill sets that you have. Figure out where it ma- matches up in order to address this problem if this is one that you feel called to and figure out the best way to do it. Once again, thank you all of us. Or thank you thank you to everyone for, for joining us, for commenting within the comments section. Um, again, we just we really appreciate you not only watching, not only listening, but also you participating. Once again, thank you, and we will see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.